0: Good morning, church. Today, we're going to go into a text that talks about belief and the things that get in our way. One of the ways today is grief. How many of you have have looked at something so long or or in one way that it almost became impossible to see it from a different angle? Anyone? I'm going to hold up my hand high on that. Um, today, the story goes like this. Uh, Mary Magdalene so overwhelmed with grief so overcome by what was going on that she just couldn't adjust quite so fast as maybe we've said so um and then famously i've spoken about how many times 7.2 that the average person has to hear the gospel prior to believing it. And that those 7.2 times take us from not knowing anything about it to having heard about it, to being sort of curious, to being not curious, to rejecting, and then into belief. Grief in our story today was Mary's excuse for not seeing. Let's see if we can talk about... Other people's excuses for it, too. But first, to the text. This is from John 20, verses 11 to 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb, crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? the angels asked her. Because they've taken my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Do you you hear that? The angels are, Jesus is repeating the angels, or the angels are repeating Jesus, right? Ahead of time. Dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Jesus asked her. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go after him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, "Rabone," which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. One commentary that I read about this suggests that there are seven seals that uh, humans have that come between them and belief. The first one is materialism. We're just out here living and collecting our stuff, and it just kind of gets in our way of seeing anything other than what our head is aimed at. Of course, all of these are that same thing, that our momentum in a certain direction sort of explains or keeps us from doing something. Okay, so the first one is mom- materialism the second one is agnosticism now agnosticism is the momentum in the way that I would say it of not accepting agnosticism means literally um, that you're ignorant of the fact uh, or that you remain ignorant of the fact you don't know what's going on and you don't respond to it because you don't understand dogmatism, the third one, dogmatism says you're just unable or, or unwilling to accept new input. Um, I remember when I was a kid, there was, there was some famous, there was some uh, debates going on in my hometown between science and, and, um, and non-belief and, or, or, or something about, it was, it wasn't science and non-belief. It was um, scientists and Ralph Nader about the Hanford site and things like that. And I grew up at the in the shadow of the Hanford site, you know, I and I, I worked there for a long time. But this is when I was about third grade, that that literally the scientist, after debating Ralph Nader, said he is like a computer without an amend button. He just will not a, will not accept any new input now dogmatism is often considered uh something that he, that non-christians talk about christians that they're dogmatic that they they don't accept new no, new input all this stuff but dogmatism is not christians doing that it's just anybody going one way and not accepting input that that uh little example there brings to me scientism or or um as Sherlock Holmes would say, uh, from from his from his movies, Sherlock Holmes's quote: "Right, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth." By the way, that is not what Sir Arthur Conan Doyle believed in himself. Many people, um, it's pretty easy to find out. You can go through that uh, Harry Houdini. And uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle spent a lot of time arguing back and forth about reality and things like that. So uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wasn't Sherlock Holmes. He actually spent a lot of time looking for and and hoping for belief in in, uh, spirituality sorts of things. And Harry Houdini spent a lot of time debunking his claims. Which is kind of funny because Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, wrote the character Sherlock Holmes who doesn't believe anything unless you can prove it. But like the quote says, when you um, have eliminated what is impossible, well, what is impossible? What is impossible? That is another definition of things, okay? So, um, next one, worldliness. Um this is one of the seals. Remember, we're going through the seven seals of what has to be overcome before belief. Worldliness. I'm just sort of embedded in the world I am. It's very close to materialism, but I'm wise in the ways of the world. Not about necessarily about creating stuff where materialism would literally say, who, who dies with the most t- toys wins. Um, worldliness is like, I'm really wise and you can't fool me. Right? You can't pull the wool over my eyes. Number six, indifference. This is the seven seals humans have before they believe. Indifference, beyond not interested. Indifference is unconcerned. I don't know anything about it. I don't want to know anything about it. I'm indifferent to that. And then unspirituality. This is what... All we have there is nothing else beyond this plane all those things and many of the commentaries of the Bible go into this let me explain here that uh, here is a quote from from or some viewpoints from people about unworldliness from the mid uh, 19th and 20th centuries when um, spiritualism was being decried by the way why Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is in here and and Sherlock Holmes is he was the voice of of some of these things that he everything was this way. But here's a quote some have said the two white angel white robes were white robed Essenes, those are people that lived in the desert, like those who were supposed to have appeared to our Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, all this means is that there is no supernatural stuff. Whoever's doing this, the Mount of Transfiguration is the moment where uh, Jesus met Moses and Elijah, and Peter opens his mouth and inserts foot again. And it goes like this, that he literally Says, Oh, it's good for us to be here to see this. Let, let me build a little tabernacle so we can worship Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. So so he, in some ways, was thinking he was doing Jesus a favor, right, on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Asenis, meeting with them in white robes, secret friends, his secret friends, who had the really spirit-away body of Jesus, lingered in the tomb yet and duped Mary by lying to her. Okay, this is sort of the story of of how if you're caught in one of these things, you're going to argue against what you don't believe. Scorning this hypothesis, legendarists have said, here we see the subjective creation of the terrified and weeping women who took white clothes for men or angels and whose fancies were readily believed now i want to i want to say that this is very clearly from the 19th century where you would you would just literally believe that women are so easily deceived I mean, that's not that is a that is a discussion from a time frame that we no longer hold. We no longer do that. Anyway, while mythical hypotheses have suggested that a glamour of love many years after the event created a pathetic but beautiful fiction of what may have happened on that memorable dawn. In other words, we created a new myth. Around it, every one of these interpretations vanishes before the authenticity is what one of my disciple, one of my things says about the God's gospel or John's gospel. I want to ask just a couple of questions. I mean, we're very, we're very uh, happy, and and we dress in white a lot in our days, and and in fact, in the nineteenth and twentieth centuries, white was sort of available but uh, most of us i just want to just just sort of a point of information that the white wedding gown of most wedding dreams of these days was is really a twentieth century creation because white was so difficult to come by and doing it that literally very few people could actually afford white. you might get cream or something like that, but it was so 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 hard to get actual gleaming white that that some of this stuff is well you couldn't have white robed ascenes. Look, the white robe the ascenes were desert dwellers living in the dust. They there was not a lot of white to be had. I just wanted to just sort of do that sort of point of information sort of moment here. Um there's also some confusion in in this uh stuff about how how we we should take the angelic forms and what's going on within the text. just taking a little moment to, to deal with what it means to believe and trust and to overcome and what some of the people you may be talking to will have to overcome is this. Um, a lot is made also in our day. It's very simple very similar to this white robe thing that that is sort of a, a a a more a more later disbelief thing that white was so hard to get that in the first 18 centuries of Christian belief, white was a sign of angelic thing because it was so hard to come by and so expensive that nobody would have it and gleaming white especially. But in the same way, now, because we have a lot of white, we can look at that and go, oh, that was a senes." Here it is. The fact that these angelic appearances, this is from another commentary, should take different forms to different witnesses belongs to their very nature. Some visions translated into words would naturally differ. You know that when we have eyewitnesses for things, the eyewitnesses count never completely, utterly agree. And many would say that if the eyewitnesses counts agree word for word, then clearly they have been manufactured. Think about that. So as the Gospels disagree with the order, so if there's been any rigid uniformity in the statements of the three evangelists, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the fourth John, grave suspicion would have been attached to the entire recital. In other words, if they had been identical, earlier centuries would have gone, that's rehearsed. That's mythology. But now we go you know as times change now we go how come they we can't make those agree look we can't play both sides of this thing we have to understand that people don't remember things in certain orders and sometimes people write things in different orders for different purposes just throwing this out the experiences of several different women would have been repeated thousands of times They would have questioned separately and together in every possible way. And it appears from all four narratives that three forms of the ultimate tradition declare alike that hope that declare the same hope about a risen Lord. Okay. so. So, as I'm doing this, and we're starting to go through this and start to understand what are the objections that people have to a resurrected Lord and what are they doing? They they question it in certain ways and they do all this stuff. Just one more example today. I don't always talk like this, but Charles Colson suggested he was a member of the Nixon administration back in that time, argued for belief in the resurrection and the trust. Worthiness of the witness of the disciples, based on the fact that the Nixon administration, that were they were like the very kings of the earth, couldn't keep a lie secret to benefit themselves. The truth had to come out while the disciples gave their very lives, sometimes horrifically and willingly for the resurrected Jesus that literally the way they died and as traditions tell us that they died in gruesome ways and some ways and other ways and all this stuff that they never recanted is far more proof and trustworthy than anything else. So here we are. We're at a story where Mary at the tomb literally meets Jesus and doesn't recognize him, sees angels and doesn't understand it and all this stuff because grief so blinded her that she just couldn't see what was going on until Jesus actually called her by name and spoke to her and broke her momentum from in non-belief into a position of or non-belief or grief or the mix of the two man that would be a a powerful combination into a spot where she could believe now as we do this and we start to think about this and we start talking about jesus and and we've talked about jesus and many of us have had our our um Stories rejected by people and questioned very heavily. I just want to take the moment to help you understand what's going on in those people that are doing that. That literally, if we could take a moment to understand and remember what it took to, to, to realign our understandings into a spot where we could understand and move into a place of faith from indifference from worldliness from science only from any dogmatism from i don't understand from i'm only focused on this thing over here if we could stop paying attention to those things and 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 stop being in a head up and locked position and come to belief but remember how difficult and what a journey that was for us, then we can have a little grace and mercy on those who are still somewhere in that journey from not believing to wondering from curiosity into rejection and then finally towards belief that until we've given them a little room to do that, it would help us to do this if we first of all understand that it may take a few minutes to adjust. And kindly, we'll give non-believers a moment without getting offended that they haven't believed us. Okay? you are saying something they haven't heard. It takes 7.2 times to hear something before you could believe it, usually, because the first time you haven't heard anything like that. But... but our our world literally will say seeing is believing but seeing isn't believing no matter how often that's said seeing is witnessing which in turn leads to speaking or testifying to it what you've seen that a witness has seen in turn speaking is testifying let's let's say this differently that If we will start to testify only to the truth and stop taking offense when people don't believe us and understand that it took Mary, angels and Jesus talking to her, and Jesus calling her name out, for her to understand, we can understand that what took us to move from these stages of belief and all that stuff without Jesus getting offended at us, at our disbelief and our struggle to come that he is so based and so moved on on us sharing in such a way that that we could welcome new people in that, that when we meet Jesus and the steps we go through we could kindly be patient and not get offended when they don't believe us and not struggle with their questions. Don't make up answers. Just, just be honest with them. And let them move through the stages of disbelief to belief at the pace that Jesus is taking them. If we could just do that, then we will have been faithful witnesses to a resurrected Lord as well. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, today, as we remember and and think about coming to a place of belief, I specifically ask that you would keep that very clearly in mind that you are working with others, and we will kindly have some patience with them while they are um, struggling and coming through those steps on their own. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.